Dr. Hans Philip.
one, two. Praise the Lord, everybody. I pray that you were able to um, truly enjoy the Sabbath rest with some possible lay activities. Nobody knows what I'm talking about? Okay, so St. Mattress and Pastor Pillow and Sister Comforter. and So I grew up in a, in a time frame where we churched all day. From Sabbath school, 9.15, 9.30, all the way right through in the evening. And then if there was a social, we stayed until the social in our church clothes. I mean, it was just, we churched all day. And um, I can't do that no more. <laughs> when I became a pastor, I realized, my Lord. And we became so good at packing everything on Sabbath. The day of rest and gladness, the day of joy divine. Why was it when I got home on a Sabbath evening, I was so worn out? So I had to re-examine that. And, and I realized, you know, we have to take a break. God gave us seven days. One day to worship. And now on the same day to worship, do we also work twice as hard than the other six days? But young, I, I guess some folks don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's in your system. If you're not in church, then, you know, things ain't right. I'm excited to be here tonight uh, to Pastor Madden and this great church and the administration team. I'm completely just awed at what you guys are trying to do here. Um, reaching out into the community and, and preaching God's word and just declaring it boldly. To God be the glory for you. And thank God for you. I, I need a volunteer for a young person. I'm happy you raised your hand. Because I was going to call you whether or not. <laughs> so, 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 so. Here's the deal, Miss Mia. No, don't leave. Don't come yet. I don't need to read yet. Don't come yet. Here's the deal. Why did you do it? Please stand. Everybody need to see who Mia is. Please stand up. Maya. Forgive me. Okay, this is Maya. Now, it will be completely ineffective just for me to speak, and I don't know where you are. So what I need for you to do is to text Maya your questions. I don't care what kind of question it is. If you don't want to text it, give it on a piece of paper, give her a piece of paper, write it out, and give it to her. Every night, I'm going to come to her. Do you have any questions for me? So she has a week-long project. Okay, so this is the young lady you need to see. If you have questions, again, it doesn't matter what kind of question it is. You're not being judged on how much you know about the Bible or what you do know or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What I need for you to know is for you to be able to share that with me. So anyhow I can inform in that decision or that struggle or that conversation. And if I don't know, I'm going to look it up. Okay, so Maya, we good? We good. Oh, her number is 702. Can we get it on the screen later on? We can work that out. Okay. So we get it on the screen so everybody can have her number. Amen. 
Now listen. Don't be texting her about some other stuff now. I got to protect it too. I'm going to put it out there. I got two girls. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. All right. So if you have the wrong persuasion, you, your thoughts are going the wrong path, check yourself and don't text. Is that all right? All right. Did you have a good time this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming back out tonight. I told you something's going to happen this week. I don't know what. It's not for me to know what. It's just for me to be here and to be used by God. Tonight, I want to talk on a simple topic tonight. A faith to stand the test. When Pastor Madden called me, he said, listen, we're trying to get to a point where we need to recognize where we are and who we are. And we need to be able to come back to what God has called us to do. A faith to stand the test. Father God, giver of all gifts, we come to you right now, dear God. I pray that God that you please just have your own way. Some hearts are heavy tonight, and I don't know why, but you do. But we were reminded by the choir that you are the rock of ages. And we can find safety and shelter in you. Give courage and strength where it is needed. Keep hope and love where it is desired. In your name I pray. Amen. A faith to stand the test. It was a cool evening in the fall. And the leaves were already on the ground. There was a solemn yet electrifying mood as the crowd made their way to the cemetery. Even the trees along the way stood poised as if the two had experienced death themselves. The, the cloud hovered as if ganged up to shut out the light of the sun. Mummy, a little boy asked. Will we see daddy soon? Very soon, his mother answered, as she fought to hold back her tears. But why did daddy have to die? The little boy continued. Didn't he say that he was doing God's work? He asked his mom. Yes, dear, his mom replied. So why did God let him die, mommy? As the mother turned to her distraught son who couldn't hold back any tears, now looking into her face for an answer, any answer, something to take away the pain. Mother wiped her eyes and, and, and for the upteen time and said, well, he was baptizing some people who wanted to give their lives to Jesus just like you did. And he was out in the cold too long. He caught a fever and then he fell asleep in the Lord. But mommy, will we see him soon, right? Yes, honey. Real soon. When Jesus comes to take us home with him next week, the little boy shouted out, Yippee! I'm going to see my daddy soon. Well, one week later, and that day came. 
The sun rose in the east and set in the west. But no Jesus. No daddy. October 22nd had passed. And it was the following morning the little boy looked to his mother for some answers. Why didn't daddy come? Mommy, he asked. Why didn't Jesus come? Who's going to play catch with me now? I thought you said we were going to see daddy. Then after a pause of silence, he turned to his mother and said, did Jesus really mean when he said that he would come back for us? His mother turned to him, struggling with the great disappointment herself, yet she managed to let a half of a smile surface to her lips. With the sweetest and most reassuring voice, she uttered to him, yes, Jesus will come back for us. As he promised. What a faith. Charles Fitch died one week before the long-awaited October 22, 1844. He was one of the pioneers in preaching Adventism. He was that little boy's father. The very foundation of their faith was tested. Everyone had been preaching that Christ was coming. The leaflets scattered along the roadside bearing good news. Lo, he comes. The midnight cry, the bridegroom cometh. The fever was in the air and was becoming contagious. Everyone's temperature was rising in great anticipation. They met every day making sure that their sins were confessed and that all was right with their soul. They had gone over the scriptures concerning the 2300 days prophecy in Daniel 8-9. You see, it was around 1818, a man by the name of William Miller had been studying the Bible and came to an astonishing conclusion that something spectacular was going to happen at about 1843 to 1844. He calculated the 2300 years to begin from the going forth of the command to rebuild Jerusalem in 457 B.C., which resulted to 1843. But when he and some colleagues re-examined the timeline with the Jewish calendar, they concluded that the actual period was 1844. He started preaching these truths, and soon people began to listen. But there was only one thing. He thought that the cleansing of the sanctuary meant that Christ was going to return to earth and take us home. They preach that since God was so specific as to when Christ was born, the time, the place, and even down to what the baby would be dressed in, they concluded that God was an exact God. They also looked at the fact that when Christ died, it was precise. The Bible tells us that Christ died during the Passover in the spring of the year approximately 3 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the same time designated for the priest to sacrifice the lamb during the Passover festival. They then looked at the major festival of the fall and noted that it was the Day of Atonement, and it was during this time that the sanctuary was cleansed. And according to Leviticus 23, 27, this day fell on the 10th day of the 7th month. After careful and strict contemplation, according to the Jewish calendar, this day fell on October 22, 1844. Everyone began bustling around, getting their debt settled, and living lives of confession. Daily people met for prayer, seeking assurance that their sins were forgiven. Can you imagine the excitement in the air? Wow! Jesus is coming soon. 
No. Correction. Jesus is coming October 22. Friends began warning their friends and family, letting them know soon that there will be no more earth. People were getting cut off from their own churches just because they believed that Christ was coming soon. That means people were disfellowshipped for believing in the second advent. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Preachers spoke with power and compassion, encouraging everyone to give their lives to Christ before it was too late. I can imagine how they preached about the flood and only eight people were saved, only because the people did not trust God. And so the midnight cry was proclaimed. Well, time kept on ticking, and soon the October 22 began inching closer and closer. 22 days left and counting. Some people sold all what they had because they believed so much that they wouldn't be needing their houses or belongings anymore. Some even quit their jobs telling their employees that they wouldn't be working anymore. Everyone talked about it. The newspapers wrote about it. Advertising companies made money off of it. The cynics and the critics made fun of this mumbo-jumbo stuff. The children heard about it, believed parents were eagerly looking forward to this great day of rejoicing. That night, that night, people were in prayer and song, earnestly searching their souls again for any unconfessed sins. What happened? Many of us as people, we don't know where we come from, or maybe we have forgotten where we come from. Our experience as the Adventist church was born out of excruciating pain and disappointment. Make no mistake about it. But how did we get there? What happened at, on 18, in 1844, October 22nd? What happened at that point? How did we get there? But let me take you back a little further in history. I'm, I like history just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's about 1348 in Europe. A ship pulls into the harbors of Italy. And upon this ship, a disease was born. Known as the Black Plague. Or maybe the Bubonic Plague. Historians tell us that maybe 25 to 50% of Europe was decimated and killed because of this plague. What happened? The animals, the rats were, were, were passing this disease, the flies. It was airborne. It was, was contagious by contact. And what would happen is that these people would try and take care of their sick, but then it wouldn't work because in taking care of their sick, they became prone and exposed to the very disease. It is noted that the sight of these, the, the bubonic plague created boils on your body the size of an egg and even up to a small orange at times. People were hopeless. Understanding the history of this church, prior to this, we had one church. The universal church, the Catholic church, it was one church. And what ended up happening was that the church dominated society the church dictated when you were born you were baptized they officiated at your weddings your birth your funerals everything happened and even during mass during the daytime you had to attend church kings were disposed and put in place because of the church 
And what took place during this bigmonic period was that people began to run to the church for help and the church closed their doors. The priests, for the fear of their lives, began to pull away, realizing they had no remedy, no cure for this disease. It got to a point where they couldn't have, they had no more space for the bodies. So they would just burn the bodies, heap them up outside. It started with a simple cough. And then you would get these boys under your armpits and in your groin area. Before you know it, it was full-blown. And death was imminent. And anyone in your circumference who were breathing the same air you were breathing was prone to death. You've heard this song, Ring Around the Roses, a pocket full of poses, ashes, ashes. That's where that song came from. There was so much death that the people began to realize in their greatest time of need, the church who dominated and was needed and used during the past was no longer there. As, and as the past plague on, it passed on, what began to take place was now people began to stop looking to the church. They began to say, you know what? When I needed the church the most... You weren't there, priest. You closed your doors on me. But, you know, in all due fear, respect, I mean, understanding it, they couldn't help it themselves. They had no answer and no response. And so people, we began the humanism movement. It was about me, myself, and I. And we went through the Renaissance period, the Baroque period, People began to more push themselves into the arts, and God became a distant memory. It wasn't about God anymore. The church lost so much momentum because of that plague. And so we find William Miller now getting and, and reading, and William Miller was a funny dude. This dude was like, listen, he was a deist. He believed in God, that there is a God somewhere. But he believed that God created everything but left everything to run on its own. So God created the earth and everything in existence but said, do your thing. And what ended up happening was he started to read and he made a promise to God. Be careful of the promises you make. He began to study, and in his study, he began to read, and he took a Bible and a concordance and began to study the Word of God, uh, text by text. And as he read through, he began to realize, wait a minute, something's coming. Something's happening. He couldn't believe it. But he was very fearful of preaching it. He would never get up to preach. And so when he finally did his research over and over, he realized it was the same conclusion. He said, Lord, if you really want me to preach... You got to call me to come preach. I'm not going to talk about this stuff. Lo and behold, a week later, someone comes knocking on his door. Brother Miller, we have a problem. The pastor can't make it to church today. Can you please come by and, 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 and share the word with us today? Now, in those days, people would normally, the pastors would have sermons already scripted. So all the deacon would have to do is come up, take the pastor's word, 
and read it. He closed the door and said, Lord, who am I to say no because I made a promise to you? And that began the movement. That began the movement. We find ourselves now on the dawn of October 22, 1844. The sun rose up that morning as usual and all eyes were heavenward. There were crowds of people who had gathered together waiting for their lovely Jesus, but no Jesus. As the sun began, it's a sun people patiently waited, looking at the sky from all different angles, hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus coming in glory and majesty. But no Jesus. Lunchtime came, and I'm sure no one thought of preparing any food to eat, all by now hoping they would be on their way to heaven, flying through galaxies and passing stars, seeing all the wonders one eye could behold. But no Jesus. Then as the afternoon approached, I could see some of the saints beginning to sing in their moment of greatest anticipation, expecting at any moment now they would see a cloud slowly descending towards the earth. And they would hear the trump of the Lord sounding and see millions of celestial beings with wings accompanying their beloved Savior. But, no Jesus. I can see people holding each other as they sang robustly songs like, Shall we gather at the river when we all get to heaven and marching to Zion and when the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. I can see children running around in excitement playing their last game of tag. But, no Jesus. The sun is setting now and spirits are beginning to quiver. I can hear them reciting passages of scripture from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 in hope to encourage themselves that God would still come. But, no Jesus. It's midnight and a new day has dawned. And still, no Jesus. Can you imagine the scorn, the disappointment, the cynics who would have so much fun, your friends and your family members who thought that you believed Christ was coming and you sold everything you had, got rid of everything you owned, gave it away to charity because you believed in all your heart Christ was coming. Now they have to face the world. On October 23rd, a new day has come. And they have to walk down that hill and watch all their neighbors who looked at them and said, it's a joke. Jesus ain't coming. And have to deal with that scorn and ridicule day after day, month after month. Year after year. Do you remember when you were talking about Jesus is going to come? <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't buy into that. <laughs> Imagine the pervasive humanistic mindset that took place because now people are so disappointed. Man, I want nothing to do with this thing called church. I got played. Got completely played. But the Bible tells us that after that disappointment, what ended up happening was two things. Number one, let it be known today. The Bible declares, no man knows 
No man knows. No preacher knows. No radio host. No president. No ambassador. No human being on this earth knows the day or the hour when Christ will come. No one knows. Not even the angels know. No one knows. So those of us who are Bible scholars must have asked, how could they miss that text? No one knows. And yet from day to day we hear people talking about Jesus is coming. Get ready on this day. Get ready on that day. And I had to talk about this subject today because our young people are exposed to that. If they don't understand where they're coming from, they will become entrapped in those kind of messages. Last year when it was declared that Christ was coming in the month of May, people began to buy and shop and sell. I mean, the economy, there was a boost in the economy because of that. Make no mistake about it. And people are still prophesying and giving deadlines to when Christ will come. A few people got together. Ellen White. She was Baptist. And she sat down with some folks and they began to study this thing over again. Where had they gone wrong? And they realized the error. That the sanctuary was being cleansed. And it started with them. But it wasn't the earthly sanctuary. It's figurative. Because Jesus now had moved from the holy place to the most holy place to do the work of intercession on behalf of all of the occupants of this earth. And so God said, I need for you to preach it. She's like, not me. Who am I, Lord? Listen, I'm not the kind of person you need. And when you read Ellen White's story, a girl with a third grade education, third grade education, young, 17, was weak, anemic at times. Her blood count would run low, and so she she wouldn't have enough strength to muster and go forth. But every time she got up to speak the word of God, she was able to stand firm for hours. Only the movement of God you can see that's taking place in her life. And you wonder, coming out of this experience, they began to study and realize what God was calling them to do. So they began to say, you know what? We'll call ourselves Advent because they believed in the coming of Christ. That's what Advent means. The second coming of Christ. Advent. So that's what the word Advent is. We hear that word. We're used to it. We're so familiar with it now. It doesn't mean much to us anymore. Now we've become known as the people who don't do anything on Sabbath and don't eat pork. I'm being real. Oh, you those folks who you don't eat pork and you don't you don't you don't you don't you don't do no work on on Saturday, right? Man, you guys are missing out. No, you ain't missing out. Listen. I believe in my perspectives and frames. We all see things through lenses in our eyes, and how we frame it determines how we respond to it and how we see it. So, when folks talk about oh Man, you guys are missing out on Saturdays. I'm like, listen, I am guaranteed 52 extra days out of the year. You can't make me work. I don't care what job I'm working. You can't touch me and make me work. I am guaranteed 52 extra days. And that's a day I ain't got to worry about my bills. I ain't got to worry about my pains and my worries. I can lay it aside and give my mind completely to Jesus. Shoot, I even can get some sleep. We have lost sight of who we are as a people. 
And I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody. We've lost sight of it. The Adventist was a movement. We came out into the world. We began to teach. We shared. We evangelized. We shared. We worked involved in the communities. Everyone knew. I have a pastor buddy of mine. He's um, from Liberia. And um, he's pastoring in Connecticut, but his kids are back in Liberia. And amazingly, when we first met, he goes, I know about you Adventist folk. I said, you do? I said, yeah. My kids go to the school. Amen. That's all right now. We good. We can talk. Let's keep talking. And amazingly enough, I have had the opportunity to work with so many different pastors of different denominations, and they would invite me into their pulpit. Now, understand something. You know what I believe. If you know what I believe and what I stand for, but you're comfortable with me coming in to preach in your pulpit, and we have some differences on interpretations of beliefs, there was one time I worked with a church, and, and the, the young lady I, I met there, she was a musician. We became friends, and I left and moved on. I began pastoring, and we kept talking about Adventism. And she said, you know, this is an interesting thing I've been studying, and this is most amazing. So I was having an evangelistic effort, a crusade, and she decided to come down to the event. She came to the event, and on that particular Sabbath, one day, one shot, I made the appeal call, and she got up and got baptized. We have lost the fire, the purpose to be about God's business. We have become complacent with technology, with materialism. I said this morning, we have exchanged our faith for materialism and for fear. We have become so comfortable. And you know, the devil, he, he, he is good at what he does. And we keep underestimating the impact and the power of the devil. We think that, you know, as long as I have free choice and I can do what I want, I'm good. No. Yes, he cannot read our minds, but he can read our actions and our behaviors. Uh, he's not the only one. We can do it too. Right? No. No? Come on. Okay, okay, let, me, let, me, let me take a step over here. Ladies, you can tell when a guy's interested in you, right? Oh, somebody's chuckling already. <sighs> You can tell by completely mannerisms, posture, expressions. You can tell by, hey, you know what? Hmm. You know, in, in seminary, we talked about, you know, having one look. You can't, not a, you, you can't take more than one look. And if he's looking more than once and twice and three times, guess what? That baby's hooked. But you can tell. We can read. You know when your children are lying to you. You know when something is wrong, you can tell. Amazingly enough, even kids have a discerning spirit that when they get around certain people, they wouldn't want to be around them. And the danger about that part is we as parents become blind to that. No, no, go give uncle so-and-so a hug. I pay close attention. This is my girls. I'm like, this is how you hug, okay? You hug, bend out, and you stick out, and you hug. And if, as a girl, you go to the side, and you hug. I'm, 
or a handshake. I got to say this before I get back to my point. People are always asking questions. People ask a lot of questions. They, they, especially young people, all the people, different people. You don't have to answer, answer anything you don't want to. Let me say that. You don't have to be rude either. There's a way you can bring that balance. Because I had to make sure I taught my girls, listen, I don't want you to be rude, but if a teacher's being unfair to you, I need for you to learn how to speak, to speak up without being rude. Because if you're rude, you got a lost case. I'm not going to hear your case anymore. You don't lost it. But there's a way you can say it. It's simple. And things like, you know what? My daughter came to me and said, Poppy, you know, I don't think I need to do piano anymore lessons. I, I don't think it's for me. I don't, I'm not feeling that anymore, you know. I said, well, you know, this is the age, the age of testing. Let me see what's going to happen here. I said, well, it's important for you to learn this skill because it helps develop different things within you. But, Poppy, you know, I'm not good at it. I just don't like it anymore. I'm not good at it. I said, okay, well, I understand that. So let's talk about this. There is, you're guaranteed in your life to wake up every morning, to pray, to brush your teeth, to go to school, to go to church, and to play piano. It's up all there with the thing called ear, the five priorities of life, not an option. And we have come to a point, and I'm saying that, we have come to a point as people that we have allowed our kids to dictate how their lives should be run. Make no mistake about it. The marketing industries know if I can get the kid, I can get the parent. We are losing our children. I'm not saying you got to be mean and green and ugly. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that. But God has given us the authority and the place and the position to help coach them in their lives. They don't know everything. Amen. And neither do you. But I was, I was happy with the story with the young mom, the, the, the mom and the boy, because she kept the faith in front of him. Yes, son, I said he was going to come last week, but Jesus didn't come and daddy didn't come. But you know what? Jesus is still going to come. And she kept that faith there. We as a people have to get back to the simple, basic roots of what we've been called to do. Preach this gospel and live this thing called Jesus Christ. Not just preach it. We got to live it. We have to live it. You know why? Because now Christianity has become such a Fortune 500 industry. Everything is commercialized. I saw a young girl come preach one day. She's about 14. Girl tore up the place in preaching. Tore up the place in preaching. She had her own armor bearer. Got up, preached, sang, did her thing. I said, my Lord. Anointed. Got to the back of the church. She had t-shirts, CDs, and everything else. I hear you. But there comes a point in time when we start losing focus of what God has called us to do. An abundant life, your name is very, 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 very tricky. Abundant life. Abundant life. It has to mean something when your forefathers and your foremothers began to think about a name for this church. Abundant life. 
The only way you can have abundant life is in who? And if Jesus is not engaged in what you're doing, then what kind of life are you living? God has planted you here for a specific purpose in a specific time. And it is time that we begin to mobilize to the call of God. The call of God. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you were eating someplace and you, 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 you had no shame but to bow your head in prayer, thanking God for the food, and pick your head back up and not be ashamed about it? <clears throat> you cough and you pray and you keep it moving. You look away and, Amen. And I'm just saying, it, 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 it's, it's about that time. It's about that time that we get to the place where God is calling us. How many of you believe you're saved? How many of you believe if Christ came, you could make it in? How many of you believe that you confess your sins today? Don't raise your hand no more. <laughs> I want to get to some real talk. Because there are people across the seas who are giving their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. And we think it's okay, but one day it's going to come to these shores. And make no mistake about it, if you can't talk about him now, it's going to be a whole lot more difficult when that time comes. Because you're going to be like, listen, we heard about the mark of the beast in the hand and in the forehead. 666, we've kind of lost sight of those things now. We just think it's commercialism. Movies have desensitized us to what's happening about the Bible and prophecy. What does it mean? In the head, that means you believe it. In the hand, that means you don't believe it, but because of the need for transactions, you're going to do it anyway. So because I got to buy food for my family, you know what? I don't believe in it, but I got to do what I got to do. And we will have to decide. But guess what? The decision has to be made now and not later. Because when it's later, it's too late. You have to form, fortify your mind as to what your decisions and your rights. I knew, I knew, I knew. Going into the ministry that I wasn't going to make no money. I wouldn't be rich money-wise. And I may be persecuted for my faith. The two are tied together. And there are people who are giving their lives. And so I've asked myself this question time and time again. If persecution was to knock on my door, I've created so many scenarios. If I'm in church preaching one day and soldiers walked in and they said, preacher, either you stop or we kill your family. What would I do? What would I do? No, I'm, I'm not trying to, this is no scare tactic because it happens. There's a magazine, you can look it up. It's called um, 
Voice of the Martyrs, V-O-M. They have a website, okay? You read through their, their, their monthly magazine. They'll tell you story after story of people who are giving their lives, who are Muslims who are being beaten, disowned by their family members, just for the name of Jesus Christ. Just for the name. To say, I can be identified with him. This one couple... They would have meetings in their homes from time to time, and the cops came in, and there was a regular raid. They walked in, they beat the husband to a pulp, tied him, his hands to his back, put him on his knees, gagged his mouth, and then in front of him raped his wife over and over. And the story went on to say it was happened, it was done, they got back and went right back to practicing Christianity. How do you do that? How can you possibly trust God and have faith and serve him with such dire, pressing, painful, hurtful experiences? That's God cleansing you and preparing you. I'm done preaching, but here's the story I'm going to leave with you. There's a story told of a woman who went to a silversmith. And she said, please... Tell me what the process is, sir. Tell me, what, tell me what the process is because I don't understand. So she went and he, she stood there with him and he said, listen, when I put the silver into the fire, I sit and watch it. I can never take my eyes off of it because if I take my eyes off of it, it may be too late. But as it purifies in the fire, I watch it and I turn it and I move it around. She said, oh, thank you very much. And she walked over and said, but I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Because when I know it's good is when I can see my reflection in it. Listen, God going to put us through some fires. Some of you have gone through some of them already. He's going to put you through some fires. And he's going to purify you till he sees his character stamped in your life. Stamped in your life. So how do you handle that? Guess what? Simple way. Simple. Simple. The Bible says, in everything do what? In everything do what? In everything give thanks. Now you may think that's the, I can't get with that. No. When you get a, a speeding ticket, thank you Lord. Because I could have been speeding and had an accident. The cop saw the, the, the need to pull me over and slow me down. Thank you, Lord. I lost my job. Yes, Lord, you know, you closed windows, but you opened doors. Thank you, Lord. Because you know my need, and you're going to have to supply my need, and I'm going to keep trusting you. So I'm going to keep thanking you anyway. That's the mindset I'm talking about. That's the perspective I'm talking about. Don't be a pessimist. Be an optimist and look to God for everything. Put everything at his foot. And trust him for everything and thank him for everything. So your back ache hurts, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I, 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 I challenge you. The next time someone comes to you complaining, say, thank the Lord for that. They're going to look, look at you like you're crazy. Dude, I ain't got no money. We're talking about thank the Lord for it. You want to give me the money? But, but, but it's about thanking him because in doing that, it becomes a habit. And when you, become, when you develop that habit within you, no matter what you go through, 
you will always have a heart of thanksgiving. And, and, and here's the trick. Once you have a heart of thanksgiving, you can have hope. And if you can have hope, it will feed your faith. You see the formula? Thankfulness to hope to faith. Ungratefulness to what? Hopelessness. That's a good word. To fear. And faith and fear can't do exist. Stand to your feet, please. The number's on the screen for Maya. Any questions you have, send her a text, write her a note, give it to her so she can give it to me tomorrow or tonight. God has called us and he has given us a faith to stand the test. Romans 1.17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed. In time when I have no more faith, God's faithfulness steps in and moves me along. Listen, I'm going to be real. There are times in your life you're, you're going to be flat out on your face. Some of you have been there. And you don't know where to look, where to turn. It's at those times that God's faithfulness, it becomes imputed in you. And it picks you back up. And you can get up and say, I'm going to go to church anyway. I don't feel like going. I don't feel like singing, but I'm going to go anyway. You get to church and somebody already annoying you and pissing you off. It's okay. I'm going to praise God because I need to get something from him. And the truth of the matter is, many times when you told yourself you're not going to church, is the day you needed to go to church. Because those days you're like, I ain't going. That's the devil talking to you in your ear. Don't go, man. Don't go. Don't go. Stay home. Stay home. There are other things you can do. I told you my testimony. I had no plans to come to Las Vegas to preach. I want to be as real with you because in being practical and real, you understand this Christianity thing. Because when you give your life to Christ and you make a decision for him over again, whether it's your first time, second, or third time, I want you to understand it's real. It's real. It's real. And God's word is real. And he has given us a measure of faith to go through anything that comes knocking on our door. It is up to us to engage that faith and activate it. And how will you do that? Let me see if you learned well. By doing what? Giving thanks. Oh, I don't think everybody got that. How will you activate your faith by doing what? You're going to realize when you start practicing that simple, simple thing, how your disposition changes about your circumstances. Something that looked so big now looks pretty small because you still remember and believe in a God. Giving thanks. For hearts and mind in one accord, I want to have you, I had you recite something this morning. And I, my aim is to have it marked into your minds before this week is over. So if you'd be so kind to repeat after me, please. I am a child of God, I am a child of God. Created, in his image. created in his image. This makes me one of a kind, this makes me one of a kind. Unique, and unique and special. I am destined to live my life. With purpose, and passion. with purpose and passion. 
I will choose to take responsibility for my actions. When faced with adversity, I must not give up. When I can't find a way, my faith in God will make a way. Put your hands together for the Lord tonight. Come on. As we come to the close of this evening, I, I hope I wasn't trying to talk too long tonight. Oh, it's 8.20. Oof. Um, I know we have a, a, some get-togethers tonight. For all the young men who are here, listen, just a secret. Shh. We're having a whole bunch of pizza and a whole bunch of chicken. Can, can I say chicken in the church? I just want to say We're going to talk to Pastor Madden after church. See what's for dinner tonight. <laughs> but, 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 but. I want to invite you back tomorrow night because tomorrow night I want to talk about a topic called Don't Get Lost in the House. Don't get lost in the house. It's going to be very interesting. And, 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 and my aim this week is to bring and talk about reform, but to talk about the purpose of what God has. We are all purposed. We've been destined for something. Not something small and mediocre, something great. And when you begin to believe that, opportunities begin to present itself. I never liked math. Any, 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 any? Join the club? I never liked math. And I don't think it liked me either. <laughs> but I was in college and I had to do a statistic class. And I said, man, something I have to give. Between Greek and statistics, something I had to give. And so my aunt said to me this thing. I never forgot. She said, if man make it. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me speak proper. <laughs> Here, heard it in the other language first. If man make it, man can conquer it. And so I took that frame, changing my lenses of how I looked at math. And stopped saying I don't like it, but saying, listen, if somebody created you, I can, I can conquer you. So that changed my attitude towards the math now. I didn't come to the math saying... I don't like you no more, man. I don't know why I'm here doing you. Because the truth is, every time I said that, I would empower myself not to do it. I never imagined in my wildest dreams doing that, that later on in life, I would work for J.P. Morgan Bank. <laughs> Having to deal with money and numbers. And I laughed and said, Lord, you're so funny. <laughs> Your perspective... The glasses you wear determines how you see things. And how you see determines how you react to it. Some of us have a lot of short tempers and you're born with anger. And listen, reframe it. Reframe it. We're going to talk about it all week. How to reframe your lenses to past experiences and hurtful experiences so you can see them in a different way. So that when you can take the positive out of it and not just draw from the negativity. Because the negativity fuels resentment. I read a book by Dan Colbert, a medical doctor, and he said that most of the sicknesses Americans are facing today comes from the triggers of stress. And the triggers of stress include resentment, anger, jealousy, and unforgiveness. And the stresses included diabetes, hypertension, and everything else that we are dying from, including cancer. We have the answer. But we are not living it. 
Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you, dear God, that you have allowed us to be able to come and to hear what you have done in the past. But more so, dear God, we, we pray right now, dear God, that you would please empower us as a people to take hold of your word and to embrace it for dear life. That no matter what comes our way, we can stand firm. We can stand through the test like the three Hebrew boys who said, if God chooses to save me or not, I don't care. I am not bowing down. Father, give us that faith to stand the test of life. Give us the hope. Give us the song we need to sing in those times, whether it is I am thine, O Lord, or draw me nearer. Give us a word in due season. People are hurting right now, dear God. They have issues pressing on them like a foot on their shoulder. And they've come here to hear some word to give them relief. But God, you are the awesome burden bearer. You say, come unto me. All of you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. There are some people who need to come to God right now. All hearts closed, all, all eyes are closed, and hearts are bowed in prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ, just raise your hand wherever you may be. If you've never given your life to Christ, just raise your hand where you may be, young or old. If you've never been baptized before, because if you've not been baptized, that's what seals your faith with God. If you haven't been baptized in the body of Christ, raise your hand wherever you are. If you're in a place in your life where you have, God bless you back there, my sister. If you're a place in your life where you realize you have strayed, I see you in my hand, I see your hand, God bless you. If you're a place in your life where you have lost sight of what God has called you to do, and your purpose. And you need to recommit your life to Christ. Raise your hand wherever you are. God bless you, my sister. Anyone else? Where are my young people? I need to see some hands going up, young people. God bless you, my sister. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? You need to recommit your life. God bless you, my brother. You need to recommit your life to Christ. Your life to Christ. I'm doing this in the stillness of the hour. No music. Nobody talking. Everybody heads bowed in prayer. Because this is what it's all about. Is there anyone else? You've never given your life to Christ. You've never been baptized. You need to commit, recommit your life to Christ. Just raise your hand wherever you are. I see your hand. God bless you, my friend. 
young lady over there. And a young man who says, keep calm and obey God. There's one more young lady in the back. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the time we could spend in fellowship and in communion. Now, dear God, I pray anointing on those who've raised their hands. That they will walk through on their decisions to recommit their life to you. That you will never leave them, but you will continue to speak to them and to nudge them along the way that, listen, they said they're willing to give their life to you, but sometimes the devil comes in and sets up camp after a decision is made. Father, I pray that you please plant a hedge around those decisions. Plant a hedge. And if they find themselves losing hope, may they cry out to you. Wherever they are, all they need to say is, Jesus, save me. All these wonderful mercies we ask in the mighty and awesome name of Christ. And the church say amen. Pastor Madden. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lest we forget. I want to thank God for the message tonight. We have a number of things planned out tonight. I know that many of you guys normally you like to celebrate on Saturday night. Uh, stay up and eat and... Uh, Nyam in some cases, and we just want to engage you right now. Uh, Sister Bray, I'd like you to come forward, please. I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, Sister uh, McDavid, sorry, not Sister Bray, Sister McDavid. Um, I saw this done, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, 